Welcome to Nana Tings. Hey loves, so we have part two of my new series, Growing Up Gay, where we talk about the sheer trauma us gay men have growing up in a very heteronormative straight man's world. Um, yeah, I'm joined by a new friend that I met through Instagram, Charlie. He's very well-spoken and educated on a lot of the matters and talks about his own experience um, coming out and growing up gay. So before I play this episode with my amazing guest, Charlie, you know, I gotta play some ads and things. So while it's going on, grab your wine, grab your blunt, grab your tea, wherever the fuck you want and enjoy the ride. Hey everyone, I just want to say I have three books out right now and I appreciate the support from all of you, from everyone that got my first book, Falling Androids in Phoenix, to my second, Romance in a Modern World, and my current third, Baby, Antonio's Return. Check it out at Barnes & Noble and also Amazon. You can easily just search my name, Antonio Laranzo, L-I-R-A-N-Z-O, and go get a copy, review it, love it, share it, and all the teens, Okay. Hey everyone, it's Antonio here with Nana Tings. I am back. It's been a minute since I've done a little interview moment. I have a fun new friend of mine through Instagram, Charlie over here. What's up, boo? Hey, what's up? Hey, hey. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. So I am, my name is Charlie. Um, He, him, his, I live in DC. (laughs) I am 22, um, graduated from college college last year so in 2021 um and now I just yeah I live here work here um just kind of navigating life in the big city and also just you know uh yeah that's me recently recently graduated I work uh work and live in DC and I guess that's it (laughs) (laughs) you're like basically I didn't realize how young you were oh my god you are Gen Z (laughs) I'm yes I'm very young but I still feel so old too. So I mean, like, Gen Z, y'all are some of the people that I meet that are Gen Z. I've been meeting actually a lot of out here that are like between 20 and 23. And mm-hmm. yeah, you guys are so smart. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, like, I'm not saying like, I love being a millennial because we really did invent social media and we did a lot for you guys, right? Even though we're still young and we're still growing, but it's a really good matchup of like millennial to Gen Z because I feel like it's benefiting of like trends and jobs and all that but you guys are just so I guess because there's some there's more progression happening you guys are just woke like yeah no and I will say like I love talking to people who are who are millennials I think kind of there's a really interesting like I feel like a lot of the experiences have been really similar but the way that we kind of share them has has changed but there's still that common thread that you can that you can relate over it's not some it's not like a huge age difference where you know things were drastically different um when we were growing up but there are like important differences that are just great to unpack so yeah i i agree i feel like i'm there's a, still a lot in common with you and me even though we're oh my god i'm so bad at math eight years seven years apart yeah um <laughs> yeah you're right but gen alpha that's a different story like if someone's 16 right now i'm like I don't even, <laughs> yeah. like, I can't even imagine growing up on TikTok. You know what I mean? Like having that at like yeah. 12, 13, 14, like, oh my God, no. Oh God. Um, yeah. It's too yeah. much. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm happy to have you on because uh, so Charlie and I had a little bit of a pre-conversation and I'm just excited to have him here because 
I've been wanting to talk about, well, I've read a really good book, The Velvet Rage by psychiatrist Alan Downs, and he talks about, um, sorry, it's Alan Downs, yes. <laughs> he talks about um, trauma that a lot of us gay men share living in a straight world, because we'll talk more about it, but Charlie mentioned earlier that like, it's true, like we saw couples or like couples in media as heterosexual couples, and we had a base how we date another guy based on that, which that's a heterosexual couple, not a homosexual couple. Like there's, there's a big difference there. There are two men or nowadays, you know, it could be non-binary, whatever, but there's two non-straight people in this relationship. Um, but that's just a prime example of the things that Alan breaks down and like trauma that we all share that we don't really talk about and why sometimes there is toxic culture in our own community. So I want to get into it. Uh, Charlie, tell me a little bit about just everything, like how, when, I, I hate to ask this question, but we are in this era of visibility. Like when did you yeah. know that you were queer? Um, this is really, I mean, yeah, I don't know how my experience compares. I, I imagine that I, I've talked to people that I can really relate over this, um, but I would say that I, I knew explicitly around 15, um, 14 or 15. Um, but, you know, it, it was, a, this is actually already getting into something I wanted to touch on at Let's a different point, it. but it's really it. like, <laughs> I, I sort of saw this divide between like, um, and I, I've thought of some ideas as to why this divide existed, but between physical attraction yes. and like emotional attraction. And I sort of, so I think I knew that I was physically attracted to other guys or that, you know, in that sort of on the end, if we're talking, if those two are separate, which yeah. they're importantly connected, but in my head, they were separate. I knew that much younger, probably like 11 or 12, but I didn't really realize that that made you queer. I didn't know how to, that that was, um, you know, that that's where the label it is related to that. It is related to who to whom you're physically attracted to too. So I knew that earlier. Um, and then I kind of, I guess, knew that I also was interested in romantically in, in, other, um, in other men, maybe around 15. Got it. And how is, how is owning your sexuality? Like, what's the freedom feel like? Well, it's fun. It's great. I mean, for me personally, I think I found it immediately really freeing um I it well okay again with the emotional versus the or the romantic versus the you know physical attraction I think I found it, it is and it, it's it's really interesting to think about why that might exist but I think like for me owning my sexuality when it came to wanting to date other like men or you know people who identified as male, I think that that felt really freeing, even at the time, like I, cause I came out when I was 16, um, I believe. And most people, I was really fortunate to have a lot of really supportive people in my corner that that part of it wasn't too traumatic. I mean, you know, being in the closet is highly traumatic no matter your experience. Um, but I think the coming out in that respect, I thought was really freeing. And I thought, you know, it's great to, to finally be able to be who I am. I think the 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 physical the the physical attraction element and owning that and owning being 
a sexual person, especially being a sexual person and a gay person at the same time was harder. And I think it, it was not initially quite as freeing or quite as simple as saying, oh, this is great. Like, this is fun. This is who I really am. I think that there was definitely a lot more shame associated with that, that you really, I really have to unlearn and still I'm having to unlearn. Um, and I, you know, I've been thinking a little bit about why that might be. Like, why is it, why did I think it was fine to say, oh, I have a boyfriend, but I thought it was so, I felt really weird about hooking up, having sex, having any kind of intimacy physically with another guy. And I think that that comes from, you know, this sort of like, there, there's more shame. There's shame associated with sexuality in our culture. And then there's also shame with being gay. So I think that the combination just, it took me a lot longer to sort of unlearn that. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it's supposed to take a while, right? So in this book that I read, um, there's three stages, right? So you have stage one where a lot of the, you know, the suppression and, and all this stuff and the societal behavior that we were conditioned with um, starts cracking a little bit, but we are acting really manic, whether it's like getting in the circuit scene or, you know, fucking a lot or running around, you know, just the very things that you do when you first come out, right? And then there's the second stage where you are dating, but you're, you're, you're running away from solitude from that alone time. So it's like boyfriend, a boyfriend, a boyfriend. We all know that gay guy, that gay friend, right? That has mm -hmm. like a new guy every three months. Listen, I had a few years where I was in stage two for a while. Um, and then addiction can form with anything, right? Whether it's from drugs, to alcohol to something that may not seem like an addiction, like sex or, um, or like needing a travel somewhere every weekend, like uh, the circuit scene or something like that, diving into something where you're not with your inner thoughts. Then there's a time where there's stage three, where you realize, whoa, I am gay. Society, this heteronormative world taught me that it was wrong. You know, like we're, you know, it's still illegal in a lot of countries and, you know, death penalty, like crazy shit, right? Against us still. And stage three takes so much work, right? There has to be a lot of self-love. There has to be a lot of emotional commitment to yourself and to your partner um, and a lot of emotional intelligence to be free. So, you know, I personally don't even, I think I just got to stage three and I'm only 30, but don't get me wrong. Like age can't be really be attached to it because I'm not going to shade anyone, but you know, there's, there's some people I know in their forties that are stuck in stage two. And Stage two could be a vicious cycle because you think that you're free and that you don't have this inner guilt or this inner saboteur, but in reality, you're not there yet, you know? Um, so I think you're doing a great job. I mean, you're 22 and you have this awareness and us gay men, we are, yeah, from birth, you know, there's, there's going back to the media conversation, right? Like yeah. you're right. And, and maybe having a few years on you, like growing up, the only gay movie that came out that I can remember is Rent the Movie in 05. And that was so yeah. taboo. I was 12 with the character of Angel. So it was so like, oh my God, like homophobic parents or relatives, like don't watch it. And then Brokeback Mountain, which were still two heterosexual actors. Granted, they did an amazing job pushing the agenda, but that was it. It was like taboo, gay movie, and Queer as Folk. Or, and then a, what was it, Queer Eye? Yeah. Yeah, those are literally like, and Will and Grace. So like all cliche. Will, yes. And yeah. you know, like, don't get me wrong, like love Will and Grace. But I grew up where, you know, I in school was called like a faggot and I was bullied and I didn't even know what the word faggot was until I like searched it at 15. Like I personally didn't come out till I started getting feelings for men at 19. 
And then I came out at 20. And it just, I look back and I'm like, it's so crazy how your bullies know that you're gay, family members know that you're gay, and they'll hold that on your head until you know and own it, and then they don't say anything. And it's so traumatizing to have a sexuality thrown at your face, and you don't even know who you are because subconsciously you're suppressing it for society not allowing us to be free from birth. And there, that alone is so deep. Um, and I think it shares a lot of traumas for that. So like, yeah, I would love to just hear your, um, your view on like media and like how, I don't know, I think Hollywood could do, I mean, it's getting better, but I, you know, there should have been a better job years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, yeah, well, everything you just said, I definitely need to read this book too. Cause I think category or, you know, the stages, like, uh, understanding it as stages, I just think is, is really powerful. I don't know if I've, I've, I think I feel, you know, and I think a lot of queer people might feel that we're just, we're, we're trying not to drown sometimes. Yes. And there isn't that perspective of like, okay, this is part of a process. This is part of growth. It can just sometimes really feel like survival and you don't always have the emotional bandwidth to stand back and think about this in the broader context of your life. So I think that's, first of all, I just wanted to say, I think that's really an amazing way to look at it. And I really want to read this book. Um, as far as the media, the media aspect, I really agree. And even some of those, um, those pieces that you mentioned, like Brokeback Mountain, I think that was the first, I, well, okay. So I actually saw Queer as Folk on YouTube, I think when I was like 14, um, I like found it um, just, and that, I mean, I will say that was really, eye-opening for me because it just was not at all within the realm of anything I would have considered even close to like a normal tv show I had just I you know I grew up watching like very mainstream kind of television yeah. um and I think within shows and then Brokeback Mountain was another one that I saw when I was younger and one really interesting thing about that is you talk about how those movies those um pieces were really taboo um, and then I also think even within those, uh, you know, those films or those TV shows, the gay relationship is also thought of as being really taboo. Um, so oh, it's not only yeah. like, yeah, like it's not just, it's, and granted, there's definitely some value to that because it is a reality. Like it's a reality, especially in queer as folk. I mean, they really delve into like the hookup culture in cities which now kind of being there myself, I can appreciate and understand. But um, so there is an interesting balance because you want the portrayals to be accurate, but then you also, it, it, it is taboo. I mean, like it, in, and so it's always something that I thought of um, as being really taboo, these gay physical intimate relationships. And I think that that's part of why, like I was saying before, um, it's, it takes a long time and you know to, to unlearn the, the shame that can be associated with it because even having set like sex scenes in movies at all even if they're straight sex scenes is still thought of as being kind of you know this comes from our heteropatriarchal and then like kind of christian puritanical thinking that just you know exists in our society but like even having a straight sex scene is really taboo at times. And so I think just combining that with the element of having it be a queer relationship um, 
yeah, like it was always, it was never something, yeah, it was always something that just felt taboo in the media. And, um, and kind of, like I said earlier, distanced from a, a kind of the kind of like lighthearted romantic relationships that you see in like straight rom-coms um and trying to bridge the gap between those two is really you know it's weird it, it's a weird kind of juxtaposition yeah. and I think that's why myself and other people struggle with that yeah I am um, I'm we're you know we're seeing a change now there's a Heartstopper on Netflix which I'm obsessed yes but it's like a full queer cast um mm-hmm. also queer actors you know which is great because in hollywood we only see that a lot um correct yeah, yeah. playing main principal roles in a whole queer show which is amazing um but you're right and you know this actually ties into a little bit what you're talking about with um emotional and physical aspects so in the book he brings up um the the art of like missing out on someone that could benefit your future um be a friend or coworker who knows and he uses an example as he had a thanksgiving dinner or like some kind of like big group dinner and it was all gay men in his apartment and this one guy was so focused on the guy across from because he was physically attracted to him even if they weren't gonna fuck even as friends he was just so zoned in on him that the guy on the left of him knew that he did marketing or whatever and was trying to offer him a job like literally this high I don't know it was like a high PR firm or something the whole time it was just tunnel vision and he didn't even talk to the guy even for a second when the dinner was over that friend that was offering a job told this Alan the author like hey your friend I want to hire him and give him double his pay but he wouldn't even look at me at all so then he called his friend was like you just missed one of the best job opportunities because you were so infatuated with this one guy in front of you and he was like oh fuck like I didn't realize that like I could have had a great conversation with someone next to me so I was so focused on what I think or who I think was beautiful and it just shows you it, it's a perfect example because I mean I was doing this when I was in stage two of this situation right of, of getting rid of shame where I hung out with hot guys and it was like uh, you know, just the party scene and all that. And now that I'm older, I, I go more based on emotional conversations and death than, and okay, cool. You're cute. Great. Love that about you. But like, at the same time, like I want someone that under, I don't know, understands my being and, and the bigger picture on life. And I feel like a lot of gay men, um, they're still stuck in that. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and no shade, you know, you know, some of the gays that I'm talking about, like the white six pack fire Island gays or, some of these circuit people that are body shaming mm. I just actually came across an Instagram post um, the other day of like six white guys on a boat and it said if you have over six percent body fat you can't be our friend and it's things oh. like that you know uh, uh, yeah. yeah I would love to hear your um, opinion on all that like physicality versus emotional but also like friends versus like friends with benefits and this whole kind of realm situation yeah, well, I think definitely the um, the idea of, like, it relates to what we were saying before about people just wanting, it's almost like wanting um, a, a, an aesthetic purity or, like, a kind of, like, cohesiveness in your group of, like, just based on appearance. So, yeah, we see that all the time on, like, Instagram and with or all social media with, with the body shaming type of thing. And I, I, I think about a lot how, like, we as humans but especially as it relates to being a queer person 
I believe everyone's ultimate goal, or at least one of our biggest goals is to feel a sense of belonging and to feel like you belong. And to me, there's no better way to make someone feel like they are unwanted and don't belong um, in their community than that kind of fracturing into cliques and that kind of excluded exclusion of people based on appearance. And I think that like, it sucks so bad because when you're, we've all, no matter, you know, our backgrounds, a lot of us really have experienced being ostracized and not feeling a sense of belonging. And it almost, it hurts even more when it's at the hands of people from your own community that you feel like that. I think, yeah, there's just no quicker way to shut someone down and make them send them honestly send them back to a place of deep trauma where they felt like they didn't belong anywhere when you are you know when you have a we have certain standards for how your friends should look and how um yeah and people that you just absolutely would never date or never hang out with or never and and being open about that and sharing those preferences whether it's like in your tinder or grinder bio or saying it out loud you know i've like been places where I've just been so uncomfortable where I've heard someone say like, oh, you know, that's just my type. Like I, I just want, I, I, that's just who I'm attracted to. And just that comment just shuts it down immediately for me. Like just immediately is, okay, putting up the wall, um, going back into the closet. Really, it's, it's like that type of going back into the closet, like hiding. Um, and I think there's this idea that like once you come out, you're out and you're out in the open and um, you have accepted yourself. And I, I don't think that many queer people feel that way. I think it's just kind of like the dominant narrative of coming out probably as it's understood from a straight perspective. But, you know, this idea that like you're free to be who you are once you come out. And really, I mean, there's so many things that just send me running back, you know, away. And I think the same for a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people. Um, and then, yeah, and then as far as what you were saying about the, the Thanksgiving story, I think that's really interesting because, you know, we spend a lot, and this also sort of goes back to a sense of belonging too, but we spend a lot of time as uh, queer people, especially before coming out, like having this barrier between us and like what we physically want and we physically desire. It's like, even after you know, or if you've, even after you've accepted your own sexuality, um, there's still is this barrier of, of coming out where you're like, you know, I want this, but it's not there. And so I think once you have maybe the opportunity or you're in a space with someone that you just find to be really attractive, or if you have the opportunity to date someone just because you find them attractive, there is like a little bit of something kind of empowering in that, especially if you've spent so many years um, having to deny that or just not being able to access it because of societal barriers. Um, so I do, I, when you said that, I, I understand. Like, it's like, okay, I do, I do understand and I get it. Um, however, I, I think that, I do think it's, it's hard. It, it, it's un, an unfortunate fact that like you said, we do miss out on all, the, all these opportunities and we're put there because I think of, of how society is and just for like, societal reasons where we all we do have like these desires withheld and like I grew up and I have I have a younger sister and I have like um a lot of straight people that I know that just they started dating they had their first kiss when they were like 11 and then they started dating when they were 12 and I just would see that and be like well that's not even an option 
So I think once you get to a place where it is kind of an option, I can understand why you might only be fixated on that. However, you're right. It, it does then put you in a position where you can become, that can be all you focus on, all you think about, and maybe miss other, um, other opportunities for something that's not, not, not a physical relationship. Um, yeah. So, and I, yeah, I think that's just like something that's a bit inherent, at least right now in growing up gay is having something withheld for so long. And once you finally have the opportunity, um, it can kind of, you can become very uh, one, you know, narrow-minded in the sense that you're, that, that, that's your goal to get that because you've wanted it for so long and you haven't been able to have it. Wow. Um, so you're sort of set up to desire that over all else. Yeah. Um, literally what you just said is perfectly flows into what the author said after that part was that like, sometimes the reason why gay men are so good at perfectionism, being interior designers, stylists, um, having abs, fitness, all this is because perfectionism seems attainable when their sexuality wasn't. So they get so obsessed on the attractiveness of things, but they're never satisfied. And he used another example, how this one guy in Key West would, would built his summer house so perfect where like you couldn't even sit on the couch all the floors are perfect that his friend stopped coming he found out that they started getting airbnbs in key west but not at his place and they told him they were like because we felt like we were walking on eggshells at your place because everything had to be perfect and it was all because you didn't want to face your own shame and inner demons and it's all stemmed from society you're right like i can't even blame some of the toxic gay guys in our community because it as much as I don't want to be around toxic energy, because as you grow, you do grow out of that. Like stage three, like he talks about, you'll start seeing, it's like your typical gay guy in stage three, where it's like, you know, stage one and two is like, let's go to this rave. And then stage three is like, no, nah, I'm going to stay home. Or I don't have to go to a, you know, the gay scene house kitchen or WeHo every weekend. Like I'm going to, I'm going to cook dinner or I'm going to go walk on the beach or maybe even go to a straight club or, you know, it, you start, you, you sort of like a lot of like the most stage three gays are actually not in the gay scene because a lot of the gay scene is run by stage one and two. It's trying to attain that hot guy, the abs, you know, the Instagram picture. And, you know, we live in a very big influencer world now. So you had gay and influencer to it. It's like TikTok status, Hills parties, da, da, da. You know, it's like a list of what's attainable. And yeah, physicality is a big one because he talks about how like in stage two, when like the guy has a boyfriend every three to six months, it's like the two will meet because they're both sexy. They have a lot of great sex. And then after a few months, they don't really know each other. So it dwindles down and you have to another one. So it's like you attain what's hot, which we, you know, you and I both get it. Like we get it. And especially, you yeah. know, masculine energy, masculine energy. There's a lot of, you know, prostate there. There's a lot of testosterone <laughs> yeah. yeah. there. Yeah. Sex is Absolutely. a big thing. But, you know, you see a lot of them heartbroken after because, you know, when physicality gets boring or old, um, there's no uh, emotional connection there. And, and, and it's two insecure people together with only basing their, their aesthetic with, the, with each other, which is sad. You know, reading this book, I was like, fuck, because like, you know, I don't want to make this podcast judging gays, because let me tell you, I was in stage two for like five years, at least. I would date guys thinking that it, it was love, but I was just in love with the idea of love. And I was in, in love with the idea that like, you know, a successful gay man has a boyfriend, you know, or a dog or things that you see in society and media. So I was lost in the sauce for a very long time. Um, even now I just moved here alone. Right. So 
my first few weeks, I didn't like solitude. I live in a studio now and I never have before. So I was like sitting and I'm like, oh my God, like Riho's right there. Um, I should get on Grindr and make a friend. And I did it for a few weeks. Not even to hook up with anyone, just to like socialize. And then I was like, what am I doing? I'm running away from my, my own self, my own time. You know, I developed so much as a human, like chill. And for the past two weeks, I've been practicing solitude and I've been staying in a lot and just doing my thing. And it's been so helpful. I was able to finish this book and really talk to my, my inner gayness, you know? Um, but yeah, what, I guess to follow up on that is like, what, what is your experience with like nightlife and just all, you know, the physicality and all that and your inner talk? Yeah. Well, they're all really connected. And I think like, I definitely never. So like I said, it, it takes, at least for me, and I don't know if this lines up necessarily with any, anyone else's experience. I can't assume that, but I, I grew up, um, just very like I was pretty sheltered I would say and I I had not even sheltered in regards to not being exposed to other other gay people but more like sheltered because I did I did have like some positive gay role models and people I knew in my community who were who were out but I think it was more and more had to do with like um in terms of anything physical or you know like it uh and this relates back to what I was saying earlier about just not even seeing something as an option for a really long time. And then that moment where you are like, oh shit, wait, I can, you know, f- uh, fuck people. I can like all of the, the things you just don't even think it's an option. You don't see yourself. And I never saw myself as being a sexual being one because of that, because of that reason. Um, and two, like it all it's for me, cause I think I'm a huge, like a media person. Um, in media, you never see any gays, or rarely do you see them in desirable roles. They're like there to be really funny, or they're there to be to su- be like a support person and almost like a therapist. To usually, I would say usually a straight woman who's going through relationship stuff, but that they fulfill these very like supporting roles that are not. They're never the object of desire, and they're never shown as having their own desire. So then I do think, you know, when I first moved here, um, it opened up this whole world that I, and I, I did go to college away from home too, but college is also kind of weird. Like it's like a very small environment. P- people are still really, really like young. I mean, it's a huge age range, like 18 to 22 is usually the age range. And there's so much growth and weird stuff that happens during yeah, that time. It's, it's a four like, of yeah yeah I it, have it was messy yeah it's just weird but I think moving here like I also moved here alone and I do have a roommate but um I found it it's it was so easy to just Solid. be like okay yeah it's it's great and it, and it can also like so for me I I saw it as an opportunity to do stuff I never done before so I could say you know what I really want to have sex right now and you could just do it you could just make it happen you could get on grinder and find that um and I think I did have a long time where I would do that a lot. Um, and I think that it's, that kind of goes back to what I was saying about like, you know, not, that never is something, even like two years ago, when at that point I'd already had been out, I already had had relationships. I'd already had this whole, like, you know, experience where I thought I was sort of coming to the end of my growth and my self-acceptance. And then boom, like you're hit with this, 
your the, the world just opens and so I yeah. like I'm still definitely going through that with living I've never lived in a city that's big before I've always lived like I grew up in a very kind of small community and then college is a small community so yeah and I think that it's part of that is it, it, it does feel empowering in some ways being able to get what you want finally and just not have it even be a conversation necessarily and not have it be um like something you have to explain because I do find that you know you're in in a hookup scenario you're both there for the same reason it's pretty simple and I always thought that's another thing like that I got from media and from like straight people I knew in my life is that like sex is something that only happens in a relationship or it's something that's really big and monumental and you have to like do all this stuff to like it's complicated and there's like feelings involved and I think that that can be true in the right situation and especially if you grow up expecting that which I did not and I feel like a lot of queer people do not um but it it also is kind of interesting to just be like hey this is so simple um it's this fulfillment of a need that you've like suppressed for so long that when you realize how simple it can be it can be really, I, I don't know what word to use to describe it. I will say it can feel a little empowering. At the same time, it opens the door for this whole toxic culture that most gay people you talk to will t- tell you about can feel like a living nightmare it, with the yeah yeah with the body, body image stuff. Like the spiral that you can go into if someone rejects you, even for a hookup, like if someone is not interested, it, it, it like it, it can feel like your whole world is crumbling. And that sounds really dramatic, but it really is like, yeah, because when something is something that you've like worked on for so long to have someone sort of just reject it and, you know, you know how you feel and you know your own personal growth and your journey. But for some people don't get that. And, and some people don't have the level of empathy that you might want and that's situation and so that can also I mean that's been hard and it's still hard um for me at this stage yeah and and then as far as the nightlife that's really another thing that I never I'd never been to like a gay club um until I moved here um I think or yeah yeah I've been in predominantly gay like party settings but I've never been in an actual club and it is really different too just like um, it's, it's very different. And like you, like we brought up earlier, it can be really empowering. It could be like, you know what? I see my straight, you know, I see straight people in movies and in person all the time, like making out on the dance floor, like, let's do that. That's super fun. But then, you know, there's the sexual harassment. There's the looking around and panicking because like everyone else is with someone and you're standing there alone and you feel seen and you feel stupid, you know? So like, it really is as I think I will just share my perspective at this point there is as much kind of empowerment because there is empowerment and there is fun in it and it's it's fun but there is as much of that as there is like some shame and some stuff that makes you kind of want to hide so I I would say yeah because especially when everyone's in different stages like when I go out now I, I am an empath and I am demisexual. So for me, I'm really big on connection and energy and, and all that. So sometimes when I'm out, I'm so observant of what I'm seeing and what's around me that 
it's so I'm not sometimes I'll go out and have a blast because going out you're right it's empowering like I, I'm a, I'm a fashion boy from New York so for me it's like going out it's like I want my outfit highlighter hair done like I do it for myself right but sometimes when I go out and I just see people around me just in stage one looking just for dick I'm like like I used to have a friend like we had a falling out but when we used to go out he would want to leave a gay bar they're just not hot people so like I'm listening to Britney Spears and Nicki Minaj like I'm doing my thing I'm here to dance like great dick stick yeah. sex is sex but like you know that's that's like I'm not going out for that um and he would just be so sad that if he didn't see a guy that was gorgeous and muscles ripped and tank top we would have to move bars and wow yeah going out it's like I, I don't have friends like that now but you could just see the energy and tribes and cliques around you where it's like wow like I don't even want to have a conversation with someone because I'm all about death now right but so many people are just at you know doing drugs or getting drunk which you know good for them but you know this 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 episode is about growth and getting rid of shame and I'm at a point where my shame is being swept away now like that's just about to be thrown out so it's really hard to communicate with someone that is in stage one specifically where it's like everything is just based on the freedom which I get it listen that was me at 19 but I I shed that shame from 19 to 29 um it took me a decade but um, obviously some people are faster growth, some people are slower, right? I have people older than me that are still in stage one and two, but, um, right. yeah. And, and the club thing, I think that's why I'm, I'm so reluctant to like, very hesitant to like go out a lot now. Like, even though I want those moments and I want to be free as a gay man and, and have those, you know, kissing a guy, you're right. But then you also have like harassment. Like I can't even tell you like how many times I have been groped by my ass and like ass it's like okay well we'll brush it off here and there but like a lot of us have had our penis grab too and like yeah not even like a touch grab like some of these guys like cup you and like grab it and it's hard yeah very hard yeah, like like yeah. actually like, it hurt like it's not even a sexual yeah. touch. like it hurts and we don't talk about it because i think society you know we we always see a man and woman right with a rape situation and when it comes to two guys you know, rape has so many tiers. We're learning in this this era, right? That it's not just penetration. Rape can be so many things from unsolicited naked pictures to sexual harassment and catcalling to groping and spanking to oral sex, then penetration. Like there's just so much, there's so many layers to it. And I think a lot of us gay men go through layer one and two. Like, I don't know about your experience, but this is why I can't do dating apps. So to, to tie this in actually to what you were saying about like the freedom of having sex on your own, that is empowering and I get it. Like, don't get me wrong. Like if I'm vibing with a guy and knowing I can invite him or like through Instagram or something cool. But for me, I can't do grinder or stuff anymore because I think as I tapped into my demisexuality, I need a connection. But also some of the guys on these apps are like, they think that you have the same mindset, right? Where right away they're sending you a dick picture or a hole, or they're really aggressive being like, like bitch or da da da, like super, super like um, dehumanizing. Like I'm just an yeah, And- or like a boy or slut like the, the assumption that someone it drives me crazy <laughs> yeah yeah it's like the assumption that someone is on the same like you have to establish consent for any thank type you, of interaction thank so, you this yeah. is the message i want people to take away from listening to this is that uh consent is not just sex it is also photos i should not be walking to starbucks and getting six dick pictures and then if i don't answer you in a second you're going off on me where, yeah, yeah where is the humanity in that it like i 
I, like sex is great. We were just talking about that. Like, this is why we need to find a healthy balance, like, or not even a balance, like get rid of the shame. Like we, it, it has to be a level where like, we can be so empowered as gay men, where if you want casual sex, that is a great thing, but don't mistreat me. Don't send me unsolicited stuff. And don't be a douche about it. <laughs> you know, exactly. that goes for in-club harassment also. So it's the same thing. No one, you can have a fat ass, you work out for it, whatever, great. That does not give someone permission to grab it. It's the same thing when yeah. like a guy goes up to a woman and thinks that she's wearing a short skirt, it's easy access. Like we face a lot of this shit in gay bars and a lot of us don't talk about it. And I'm, I'm assuming it's because we're men and like, in in culture and society we're taught to like brush that shit off or be strong i don't know what's your yeah. view on that because that's something that like i really have never really heard another gay guy talk about with me and like i feel like a lot of us experience this i think definitely there's like the element of the masculinity thing of like being men and it's like this idea that assault you know and it's and obviously like we want to end all all sexual assault all rape but i think it's not as much of a conversation of it happening to men. And obviously many of us have seen the statistics like men do get sexually assaulted, but if you are identify as gay or bi, that increases like tenfold. I think you're like 10 times more likely to have that happen, which on its own is really telling. So I think there's that. And I also think it has something to do with um, this like idea of celebrating the community which obviously I, I love that idea. I love the concept, you know, events like pride and looking at how far we've come and the fact that these spaces exist and that you're able to be open and free. I think that that obviously is beautiful, but I also think that maybe it comes from a place of not wanting to like take away from that and not wanting to also have to address the really terrible stuff that does happen. And like the, the assault that happens like for example just the space of the gay bar alone right like I think it's amazing that that exists and I think it's amazing that people there's a space for queer people to go and just be themselves however you have to hold that you have to understand that while at the same time understanding that those places sexual assault and rapes happen there all the time and it's not something you want to necessarily like think about at the same time it's hard to hold the idea of like celebrating this space and then also it being unsafe for some people it's not something you want to think about and it's not something we want to talk about. I think we want to think I'm going to the club. Like it's an, ama an amazing space. Um, it's almost like a downer. You don't want to be a downer and bring up the grabbing of the ass and the little comments. And it's, it's, it's sexually assault related comments and people, I guess, quote unquote, hitting on you, but it's also just people feeling free to be openly mean about yes. how someone looks or it's about what someone's wearing. An excuse, yes. Yeah, which like, um, or someone to like, you know, I've had someone be like, ew, like to me when I've been near them at a gay bar. And that is something, you know, so you have to, I think it's really hard to reconcile those two, celebrating the space and then also not ignoring these really ugly realities of like, it. Don't touch me. Um, like that bothers me so much. I was like, don't. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, and it's a line, it's a line that's like really surprisingly really thin between like like consent and like we were saying, it's it can be really freeing to just know that hey, you can walk up to someone and make out with them. On the same time at the same time, there are definitely people who go to the gay club with no intention of 
finding someone. They want to go and dance with their friends. They want to hear the music. They want to get drinks, you know? And uh, yeah, and so I think that there's just a lot of like, there's a very thin line between it being this really fun, empowering experience and feeling the free, I think it's like, I really think it's between like freedom and not holding, not like no self-accountability. Like it's like, you're free, but you're not free to grope someone, you know, so. It's that, you know, it's what you were saying earlier, like a balance, it really is. Like there's three stages, as we said before, and it just can understand that like, not everyone thinks the same and that that goes for like especially the guys on apps that think that every guy has to be super sexual or into like abusive situations and actually so alan also wrote up a crazy point about like a lot of the bdsm and stuff like that actually comes from like um i i forgot what the statistic was but there actually are a lot of gay men that when they were younger were raped or they had a weird sexual assault moment and then they thought that like selling themselves for sex or you know older men using them was their brand their way to go about accepting their sexuality so then it gets thrown into this culture of like they a lot of them like to have sex in a very aggressive way as a way to like take out that subconscious anger of them being used as a child so there's so many there's just so many layers to and you know at the end of the day it all goes back to society it yeah it all goes back to our sexuality not being fully accepted and Mm -hmm. but then it sucks for people like you and I or even people more woke where we're just trying to go to dance um or we've worked on our own demons you know we have more ways to go but like we're just trying to be our gay authentic self and not just have our sexuality be our personality but like we're doing our thing but then there's you know so much trauma from society that it makes our own community I think battle or fall and then the ones yeah. that are not even in the scene. So it's like, you're not even learning from the people that are, are at stage three because they're so tapped out. Yeah, and understandably, and also just like, I think it's not to be underestimated just how like tiring it is. So I, I haven't read this book and I, I don't fully know. Like I, I'm picking up uh, the stages based on what you're saying, but like just also how tiring it is to like, if, if you do subscribe to the, uh, you know, you were saying the like circuit culture or, things like that they're, they're I mean it's really demanding like if you are trying to keep a certain image um of yourself and it might not necessarily reflect your authentic self like that gets tiring and I think like I will say I'm pretty young I, I'm trying to not fall into that and that's not to say that you know people who do fall into it are weak or not self-aware or don't reflect because it, it's it's interesting like you can still fall into these things and know oh, yeah. you're falling into it and do it anyway. And I think that's kind yeah. of where I, where I've seen with like, with like the, like the hookup culture and that type of thing. Like I've, I have these conversations with myself and I'm very aware yet. And, and I'm aware of the certain, um, you know, the, the potentially toxic outcomes of them, but I'm still doing them because there's, there's that inner battle between like, your just very human desires and kind of catching up to finally being able to do what you want to do but there are repercussions and that actually kind of connects to something that I wanted to say earlier that I just forgot but where you were asking about like my experience with you know clubs and hookup culture and I think like one thing that I I do did also just want to mention is what like 
if you're in a in a hookup situation, it's very common. I've honestly probably more times than not have had someone try to do something that I had explicitly said beforehand that I was not interested in doing. Yes. And yes. even and that's it's so real. Like it's a very real thing. Um, like explicitly in no uncertain terms beforehand said, I don't want to do XYZ. And then maybe even repeated it at the beginning. And then repeated it in the moment. Had that like those, and I just cannot. I like to really be open-minded and think how other people think, but I cannot ever understand how you would be comfortable doing that. And I do, and I've experienced it so many times. Um, yeah, and I think that that's something that can happen and something that, you know, and I know that, and I'm still on, you know, I'm still doing the same thing. And so I think it's it's like, you have to be able to, it's like self-awareness doesn't necessarily mean you're making the healthiest decisions for yourself. You can know something might not be a healthy decision and still do it. And that I think can be applied to so many different queer situations. I think it really- Queer relationships. Yeah, it comes down to like decoding and recoding, right? I think, Mm -hmm. don't get me like, listen, same. Like I have, I'm a poet, right? I have a few books out. Um, I've written about dating apps. I've written a, a, a lot about queer culture and I'm so human, you know, I have those moments of going back on Grindr, especially like when I moved out here and I've, I've never really felt loneliness like before yeah. until now. But then, you know, it takes the, it's rewiring, right? It's being strong enough. Like I had to rewire myself to go from like loneliness versus solitude, which way I would do, what route do I want to go? Um, like, do I want to tap into my demisexuality, which I've always been, but I'm really discovering it now. Or do I want to like have one night stands and then feel depleted, demisexual. So like, it's really uh, breaking the habit of trying to throw away shame and it's breaking the habit of trying to prove what kind of gay you are. Um, yeah. And it's going to take more of us to sort of decode the societal system of being gay. And I mean, this episode alone, I, you know, was a part of that realm to help uh, decode that, that submission out here, right? It's to show whatever gay guy is listening to this, or it could, it could be, applicable to you know our trans community and non-binary community like that pressure trying to be something it it sucks but at the end of the day you really have to be authentic but to be authentic truly authentic you have to like get rid of the shame yeah and really like work to address and think about why it's there and where it came from Mm -hmm. and how to not expose yourself to the same the same things that caused them and actually show up for doing that and it's like it's a process too like we said so like you know congratulating yourself on growth but then also not like necessarily not shaming yourself for having a setback you might say or doing something that you used to do and you identify as not doing that anymore um and then you know maybe you you know it's like being patient and, and forgiving yourself too and allowing yourself to not have this one very like linear path of growth. Yeah. Um, I think what stage two is about. I feel like what I picked up from the book is like stage two is really that. It's so on and off boyfriends, it's the physicality versus emotional. It's it's that kind of chaotic mess of like, am I this brand? Am I this? How am I finding myself? And I feel like people that become emotionally intelligent or aware will start being like, wait, I don't like this. I don't like that. Well, that's the hope, right? Not everyone can be mm-hmm. at that level, but you know, then that's what builds you up to stage three. But stage two, I think really is the perfect stage of 
really figuring out where you want to be or you know unfortunately people get stuck in it but then some people will grow from it um and i personally definitely grew from it which i'm thankful for but yeah it's a yeah they, you know the memes that say it's expensive and tiring to be gay i mean it's really true uh <laughs> like, yeah it's so yes yeah, yeah. And, and it's all from society i mean at the end of the day it's something we can't even control first of all, we're born this way and second of all, you know, it's fucking government and stupid leadership and religion. And there's so much yeah, things that were implemented when we weren't even born yet, which is so sad. Like, yeah. It's all like, it's really like deeply embedded and it's hard. And like, we all carry it still. Like, or we all are part of the culture too. And internalized homophobia is really real and like big big thing yes huge huge thing um yeah so no exactly like you said like there's so many like reasons that things are the way they are and especially like you know you don't you were saying the the whole the meme of you know it's it's expensive and tiring that is really real and it just really shows like you don't you don't need to do that if you're um straight you don't work on you don't put a lot of money and time toward finding an image um for yourself or trying to fit into a certain tribe that's just something that i don't don't think a lot of people know that i don't think a lot of people think about that outside of the community or maybe even within the community and um you know in media you see these characters who are gay and they're very high achieving and they're very like perfect like you said like they're perfectionists and they're really focused on um, maintaining a brand and maintaining their appearance and maintaining the appearance of their home. And that is like not something that people who aren't part of the community have to think about or deal, or it wouldn't even occur to them. Like, you know, like th- that having to work so hard to fit into a certain category or to be seen a certain way is, you know, it's a very unique problem. It, it really yeah. is. Yeah. And it's, it's designed for the gays. It really is. Um, yes, it is. Yeah. I, uh, it's been so lovely having this conversation with you. Like, yeah, this has been so therapeutic. And like, I, I hope to listen to, you know, to more of this series and just, I, I like, it's so great to be able to talk about this and just like openly, um, you know, cause you never, you don't want necessarily want to be the person in a group setting that's like let's talk about our trauma let's talk I about our know, life. i hate you, you know what i've become that person and i hate it Don't yeah. moments where like i just want to get to kill a shot and shut up but <laughs> i'm so i think i've yes. become and this is not to toot my own horn but i become so emotionally intelligent as a human that like hmm. i guess it's just like i'm really in a realm of my art right now where like i'm forever writing and creating that like i'm thinking about this shit now 24 7 so you're yeah. right and I think a lot of people have that mindset though. Like 99% of people probably have that mindset where they're like, oh my yeah. God, I don't want to bring it up. But I want to be that one person that's like, you know what? It's going to be weird and uncomfortable. And as fun as I am, and I, I like to get lit and I like to just have like light fun, I got to get deep too. So yeah, you're right. And I, I hope this is a new wave because we there's really not a lot on it. You know, I was like looking up articles, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I write, so I'm going to write a blog post about this kind of stuff too. But um they're, yeah, I don't, I'm not seeing the material, not even in music. Like, where are the lyrics? Yeah. Like, I, I want, I still yeah. want to change the trend, you know? I want to, like, let's, let's be woke about it. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. No, and I so appreciate just, even just like in the last hour, being able to talk about this. I've not, I've, this has been in my brain and I just like have not 
had the opportunity to share a bunch of it. So, you know what's so funny? I appreciate I, it. I, speaking to you, I feel so relaxed. Like, this is yeah. something I needed to get off too, you know, off my chest. And it, it, it feels like we just had a really good therapy session because it, it's yes. just not alone. We're two different generations, but we have such common trauma. And it's so amazing to be able to like connect with someone from a different generation and, and just be seen and heard, you know? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's so rewarding. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel great. And I yeah, this is why I podcast. This is why I do it. It's these kind of conversations that help uplift us. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Well, thank you for being on. You're amazing. And I'm so happy that we you were You too. Here. Yeah. Thank you so much. This I, I needed this. And I, I, yeah, thank you. Of course. Bye. Bye. Talk to you later on Nana Tings.